everyone was filled with fear. Everyone was filled with doubt. Everyone was discouraged. And they were all confined to their homes. And the doors were locked. They were filled with fear. They wondered about what was going on outside. They feared for their lives. They doubted. They were filled with anger and anxiety and frustration. They wondered what was next. They wondered what they left behind. They wondered how they spent their days, especially over the last couple of years. They were filled with discouragement. I'm not talking about March and April of 2020. I'm talking about Saturday, a Sabbath day, the day after Jesus was crucified. And the rooms were filled with all of the doubts and all the discouragements and all the anxiety and all the frustration and wondering just how much they loved Jesus, but just how much they were discouraged to know that the one that they gave their lives to, to follow every moment and every step, was killed. And maybe you could relate to how I opened of the anxiety and the fear But I don't think we quite get just how severe they felt those same feelings. To have their lives turned completely upside down and come to a screeching halt. It was a silent Saturday. And there was no no hope. There was only discouragement. Our text this morning is John 20. Follow along early on that first day of the week. Mary, it was still dark in the morning, and Mary Magdalene, she went to the tomb and she saw the stone had been moved from the entrance. Now Mary, she was the last to leave the cross. Joseph and Nicodemus, they took the body from the cross and they brought it to the tomb and they prepared him for burial. But it was Mary who was the last to leave the cross. And she's the first to come to the tomb. And she came, when she saw the stone had been removed from the entrance, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, and the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put Him. And so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, and both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, I feel like that's John just throwing out a little dig. I'm faster than you. Peter, and he reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head and the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and he saw and he believed. They still did not understand from the Scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. 
the detail of the clothing is a curious thing about how it's lying there and how it's sitting. And what people believe is this description was intentional to say that there is no doubt that this body was resurrected and raised. It wouldn't have been there had the body been taken. This was to show that there was new life and the beginning of new creation. That the Lord is risen. Now the two disciples, they leave. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put Him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. This moment, It doesn't tell us that Mary runs and grabs a hold of Jesus. But if it were you, wouldn't that be what you would do? This one that you have loved, the one that you've been seeking, says your name. He says your name, and you discover that it's the one you've been searching for, the one you've been longing for. Wouldn't you go and cling on to him? And so it doesn't tell us that in the text, but I I think that what happens next leads me to think that that's exactly what happens. She grabs a hold of him and her tears become tears of joy. She calls him teacher, the one who has authority to teach and lead and care for her. She is filled with joy. The one who was last to leave the cross and the first to the tomb is the first to see the risen Lord. The one who loved him the greatest the one who had great love for him because of his great love for her, she sought him and longed to be with him. She clings so tightly to him. And Jesus says, well, hey, I love you too, right? He says a totally, perfectly Jesus thing to her where he throws a hand grenade at the moment. He says, do not hold on to me. Let go of me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Let go of me. Don't hold on to me. It's like for Mary, it's like, well, what what am I supposed to do? And what I believe Jesus is telling her is this, and I hope you hear this word of encouragement today. Jesus is telling her that things are no longer as they once were. When Mary clings on to Jesus, I think she wants things to go back to how they once were. She wants things to go back to how they were before the crucifixion. She wants to hold on to Him and walk with Him and eat with Him and laugh with Him and learn from Him. She wants things as they were. And what Jesus is telling her is things will never be the same 
again. There is a new normal. And I know that those are swear words in the, uh, anymore in our, in our world, but I want you to hear the importance of it, and I chose it intentionally. Jesus is saying there is a new normal now that the cross has happened and the resurrection uh, has occurred. That there is new creation and there is new life and there is new hope and the victory of sin is no longer death. The power of sin is no longer death. But the hope of life in Jesus Christ is, made, uh, is here and it's present. There is a new normal in light of Easter Sunday. There is a new normal where sin and death no longer hold victory over us. Traditionally, that's when people say amen. <laughs> I know we're out of practice being together and reminding ourselves to listen not only with our ears and our minds, but with our hearts as well to remind us that Jesus is victorious over death. And I don't know about you, but we need that message a little bit more often in our lives. Because we have a fear problem. And we have a divisiveness problem. We have an anger problem. We have an anxiety problem. We have all of those problems that we feel on a Saturday that we shouldn't feel on a Sunday because Jesus is risen and He's Lord and He's King. We've been living on a silent Saturday for several months now and I want the Spirit to awaken your heart and your soul and remind you again that there's a risen Lord and King. It's curious to me that Mary was the last to leave the cross, the first to the tomb, and the first to see the risen Lord. Why is she the one? There was a meal where there was a woman weeping at Jesus' feet and wiping His feet, washing His feet with His tears and drying His feet with her hair. And the Pharisee says, if you knew the type of person that was doing that and the type of sin that's in their life, you wouldn't let them anywhere near you. And Jesus' word to him was, well, those, those who have been forgiven much love a great deal. I don't know I don't know that we're aware of how much sin we have. If I were to ask you this morning if you're a good person, I think you might be up to saying, yeah, I am a pretty good person. You're not as good as I am, but you're a good person. And we've been lulled into sleep to thinking that we are just really good people. We go to work, we pay our bills, we're nice to our neighbors. I can put on a great show to show you that I think I'm a pretty good person. But there is a brokenness within me. And there is a brokenness within you. And the reason why I bring that up is because I think we are waning in our affection for Christ. Preachers used to stand up and they used to beat the pulpit and tell you how terrible you are. And after a steady diet of that for 50 years, there was a generation of preachers, such as myself, who said, we're never going to beat our pulpit and tell people how terrible they are. And I'm not about ready to start now either. 
But would you agree that sometimes we're really light-hearted towards our sin and pretty damning of the sin of others? That we are hypercritical of the people around us, but there's no room for that sort of criticism in our own hearts and minds. If we aren't aware of our own failures and our own brokenness and our own desperate need for God, I'm not sure that we're the first ones, the last ones to leave the cross and the first to the tomb and the first to see the risen Lord. But a woman who is painfully aware of her own brokenness and sin and wonderfully aware of the forgiveness and affection of the loving Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, she's, she's the first one there and the first to see Him. And I would just ask you, do you have that affection for Jesus? Do you have that affection that the first thought in your morning would be to thank the Lord for life and hope and mercy and love and forgiveness and grace? And that your thoughts through your day are affection towards Christ, that though you are broken and though you are hurting and though there is hopelessness and despair and anxiety and all of these things that store up in our hearts and our minds, that your affection for Jesus would grow. That your love for Him. That you would appreciate all that Christ has done for you. Let's be people who are last to leave the cross, first to the tomb, first to see the risen Lord kind of people. People who have a great affection for Jesus. A devotion to Him. A time and an enjoyment for His Word. An enjoyment for prayer. As I say these things, I hope you are thinking of your own walk and your own heart and your own condition and you would say to yourself, do I love the Lord? Do I love Him? Not, I'm not heaping up obligations. I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just asking you. Do you love Jesus? You love His love for you and His love for creation. I think Mary does and I think that we should follow her example. Jesus says, don't hold on to Me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. That's the time to hold on to Jesus. When He ascends to the Father, that's... that's when we start fixing our eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's when we fix our eyes on Him and we cling ever so tightly to the One who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We believe that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, that He reigns. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all the circumstances that we're facing, we know that Christ is Lord and He continues to reign. That's another time when people participate and say, Amen, Jesus does reign. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to participate. It's okay to cry. It's okay to let God's Spirit move in your heart and your life and revive us again and awaken our senses to what God is doing. I hope you hear me. Because my heart is weary from all of these things that have just sort of beaten the life out of us. And there is one who wants to breathe life into every one of us through His Spirit. So in Mary, in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. 
I've seen the risen Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked in fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said these words. And I want you to hear it and feel it for all of that it's worth. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus changes everything. We've heard this. We know this. Jesus starts new creation. He breathes life into his disciples. He tells Mary that I'm going to God, my God and your God, to my Father and your Father. Jesus changes who his family is. When he gives us his spirit, we become a part of God's family. He gives us the power to forgive and forgive others. He sends us out to bring peace into the world. They believe and they are filled with joy. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Talk about the all-time missing out, you know. You want to know where uh, fear of missing out started? It was with Thomas. Oh my goodness, how do you miss that? But here he is, and he says, he was not with the disciples in verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Oh, come on! (laughs) But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks, in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, a week goes by, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my, st- my side. Stop doubting. Stop your unbelief and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. I want to pay particular attention to verse 28. When you say that you believe in Jesus, I think we go through stages. Go through stages. I ask my kids, do you believe in Jesus? And they will all answer yes, because I give them $5 to say yes. You know, I want to make sure that you guys know and don't fire me. Like, you can't even teach this kid. No. 
They believe in Jesus. They love him without my coaxing. Hopefully because they see their father and mother loving and believing in Jesus and they understand what that looks like. But they accept that there is one who has come into the world. They, they will say that they believe Jesus to be the Son of God, that He existed and that He lived, that He was crucified and resurrected. That He's the Son of God and the Messiah. They will say that they believe these things. Do they fully understand those things? No. Do you fully understand them? Probably not. And I don't either. But what I believe what I believe uh, happens with the word believe is we start growing in that. And so I don't think that when Thomas says, unless I see his hands and his side, that he doesn't, he's not cognitively aware that Jesus existed and that he's the Son of God. I think Thomas is, is saying, I want to see the risen Lord so that I might place my faith my trust, my commitment to Him. It's not that Thomas doesn't know something or that he's doubting that it happened. I think Thomas gets a bad rap. Here's what I think he's wanting to do. He's wanting to see Him so he can place his full loyalty to Him. He's wanting to see Him and see the wounds and see the resurrected Lord. He wants to see what his friends have also seen. He wants to participate in the joy of seeing the resurrected Lord. And then, will, he says, I will place my faith in Him. Then I will believe. Then I will know that He is Lord and King and Savior and risen. And I will declare my allegiance to Him. And that's just what he does. As soon as he sees the risen Lord, he says, well, what does he say? Everybody look. My Lord and my God. It's not just a confession of the identity of Jesus, it's a confession of Thomas's loyalty to him. My Lord and my God. And so maybe your faith, maybe your walk with God, you know a lot about him, but maybe you've been lacking in the same confession that Thomas offers. Is Jesus your Lord and your God? Is Jesus the one that you confess to be the Son of God, the Messiah of the world? This is exactly the reason why we've been walking through the Gospel of John every week. For the reason it was written, he tells us, I've told you of all of this, I've written it down so that you would believe Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing in Him, by placing your allegiance and your devotion in Him, by confessing Him as your Lord and your God, you would have life in His name. If you want life, you're going to want to follow Thomas. You're going to want to confess just as he confessed Jesus as his Lord and his God. So the question is, is do you do that on a daily occasion? Do you confess Jesus as your Lord? Or is your heart and your attention divided? Are you seeking Christ? Are you seeking His kingdom? Are you seeking Jesus as Lord? Are you seeking only for your own gain? Only for yourself? And living in sin? We need these reminders of where our loyalties are. And it's not in Washington. It's not 
in the politics of today. Our hope is not in who's all of this stuff. When we say Jesus is our Lord and our King, what we are saying is He's the one we care the most about. And if you look at what you say on your Facebook, you look at what you say around the coffee shop or in the cafe or wherever, if you listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth when you're talking about your day and talking with your children, I hope you're thinking about all that, and the question is, can people tell that the thing you care most about is Jesus Christ? Because that's what it means to say, Jesus is my God and my Lord. That He's the one I care most about more than anything else. He's the one I seek, the one who died for me. He's the one who I want to cling to. So maybe you're like me and you need a lot of work in this department. But it's not always explicitly clear that what I care most about is Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. But if I want to be one of those folks who is the last to leave the cross, the first to the tomb, and the first to spend time with Jesus each morning, It starts with what Thomas says. My Lord and my God is Jesus Christ. So, I want to offer everyone a fresh start. It's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He offers us fresh starts every day. Thomas, he missed out one, uh, one Sunday, and another Sunday came. Another opportunity to see the Lord and be with Him. And why I want to say to you that if you feel like you're missing out on Jesus, there's another opportunity. There's always another Sunday. There's always another day until Jesus says that there isn't. And so the best Sunday to meet Jesus is today. The best Sunday to say, God, I've been thinking about a lot of different things than just you and fixing my heart on you. Let's have a fresh start. And really, my favorite place to have a fresh start is in Colossians. And I'll read it with you, and then we'll have communion together. It's Colossians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians 1, 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things that in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. 
Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the Gospel, this is the Gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Christ has reconciled us back to Him. He's the one who's seated at the right hand of God. He's the firstborn over all of creation. There is a new normal in light of the resurrection. And that new normal never stopped, even in the midst of a quarantine, even in the midst of all of the craziness of 2020. Jesus never got off His throne. He never got thrown off His game. He didn't get distracted. He's still paying an awful lot of attention and He's looking at us. He's looking at His people and He's wondering, will they trust Me? Will they wake up tomorrow morning and will they say, Jesus is my Lord and my God? And he's looking for folks to not just say it, but to live it. To show the world that the thing they care most about is Jesus as their Lord and their King. I want to encourage you uh, to take communion together. There is a thing that we have been given from Christ to honor Him. For years, year after year, Sunday after Sunday, we've said a phrase and that is, after we partake in it together, we quote uh, from Colossians, uh, not Colossians, 1 Corinthians 11. And we say that for as often as we drink this cup, I'm sorry, eat this bread and drink this cup, we show the Lord's death until He comes. We always use the word show. Uh, there's another word you could use instead of show. The word is proclaim. Show seems like it's a thing that you do, an action, a, something that people see. The word could also be translated as proclaim. That we are making a statement. We are announcing good news. And what we are saying to a world is that Christ's body was broken for you and His blood was shed for you that you would have forgiveness of sins. We've all been through quite a bit. And I may have touched and poked on things that brought about anxiety and frustration. But I want you to remember the things that Jesus says when He walks into a room. He says it not just once, but twice, and then He says it again. And when Jesus shows up to church, when He shows up to a people gathered in His name, He says something to them. He says, peace be with you. And I don't know about you, but in God's new creation, it is comforting to me to know that God's peace is with us. And Jesus wants you to have peace. He wants you to know that there's hope in the midst of all of the despair and all the anxiety and all the hurt and all the things that we just are, our head and our hearts are twisting around. He wants you to know this. 
His peace is with you. And so I just want you to spend time appreciating that very simple thing that can change your heart and change your life. To know that there is a God who cares so deeply for you despite our brokenness and despite our rejection, despite our anger and our frustration and all the things that have worked up in our hearts to lead us away from Him. He says, my peace is for you. My peace I give you. Jesus tells us to take heart that He has overcome the world. He says that just before He's crucified. Just before He's arrested. Just before He's taken from His friends. He says, I've overcome. And He doesn't want you to forget that today. So if you would, please pray with me and then we can partake in the cup together. Heavenly Father, we love You. And we thank You for this day. We thank You that despite our sin and our brokenness, You haven't given up on us. In fact, You have sought us and You have saved us and You love us deeply. So we pray now, God, and we ask that You would please instill Your peace in our hearts. To know that You are with us you care deeply for us. We love you. And we need you now. May your peace calm our minds and heal our hearts to know that you are Lord, that you are our God, that you are the King of kings, and our life is in you. Lord, we don't want to take this in vain. We don't want to take it haphazardly. We want to appreciate this moment of the new life, of new creation in your kingdom, of what we share in today. We love you, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.